0: Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 162 of Yoga Land. This week, Jason is back with me, and we are talking about developing your private yoga sessions as a teacher. So, I knew very little about how Jason developed this side of his business. So, I was kind of a great stand in in terms of asking questions like how do you price it? How long should the sessions be? Should you start out with a minimum number of sessions? Are you ready to teach? private sessions if you've only done a 200-hour training? And how do you deal with people coming to you with their therapeutic issues? So we go over all the kind of structural details of setting up this part of your teaching. So enjoy the episode. Hi, Jason. Hey, Andrea. Hi, Ginger. (laughs) Woof! Do you like how I placed her right next to you for this yeah, episode? I do. She's your little emotional did you support feel, animal.
1: Did you feel like I was stressed out and I needed a chihuahua I to
0: ground mean, me? Both of us pretty much always need this chihuahua I know. these days. I know. So, anyway, it's been amazing having you home for the summer, mo- for the most part, and especially for the start of the school year. It's been awesome. Yeah. And you are about to start embarking on some weekends away again. I know one of the weekends you're doing is. Right close to my hometown where I went to high school, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania.
1: Yeah, that is the end of September. So probably by the time this episode airs, Mm -hmm. it's about time. And then I have sequencing programs and weekend workshops in Chicago and D.C. coming up. Both of those studios I really love to be at. The D.C. is actually in Silver Springs, Maryland, but I just think of it as D.C. And then Big News, which is I've been trickling out, which is that i'm back at doing a 200 hour teacher training program next year we're going to do it in london i'm teaching 80% of it but then really great students of mine and teachers in their own their own right adam hoke and adam hustler are also joining me on faculty next year and that is next august it's an immersion so you and our lovely daughter are going to be there yeah we're at least be for there. the first half
0: yes we'll be there we will do a podcast while we're there you and i yeah And I might even teach a little bit. Who knows? Yeah, see some meditation, maybe. Yeah, my
1: God, (laughs) is that an offer?
0: Yes, you may take me up on that offer. No, you just have to hang out with our daughter all day, like I usually do.
1: Done. (laughs)
0: Done. (laughs) Take her to Euro Disney. (laughs) No way. I'm just kidding. (laughs) No way. Someone recently told me, is a neighborhood friend. She's from over there, across the pond, and she took her kids to Euro Disney, and she was like, "It's just not." Is organized as the American Disney, which I thought was just okay. an interesting perspective. Kind of strange thing to be talking about on a yoga podcast. So let's get to the <laughs> yoga. Let's do it. <laughs> okay. So today we're going to talk about something that you brought up in a recent live podcast, which is helping teachers figure out having a, a business around teaching privates.
1: One of the things I feel really committed to doing. Is to help all yoga teachers, at least all full-time yoga teachers, not generate 100% of their revenue from teaching public classes because it just doesn't scale well. It is a mental, emotional, physical, just black hole. Teaching a lot of public classes for a long period of time is a really, really difficult draining thing. Like it just is across the board, right? I've taught for a really long time. I teach a lot of different formats. But I was even telling you last night, I got home from a 90-minute public class that I taught, and it was just a lot.
0: I mean, I think the thing that's interesting that I see in you over the years of teaching privates versus teaching your public classes is no matter what stage of your teaching or your life you're in... When you're teaching a public class, you're still counting the heads in the room. Like it, it's just there's energy when there's more people. There's it's just there. Whereas when you're teaching a private, it's such a close connection to that person. Right. And it's a relationship. And I've I've always known that you've really really enjoyed that.
1: Yeah. So what I'm getting at is for full time teachers, even for part time teachers. We want to diversify. It's not just about diversifying revenue, but it's about diversifying the ways in which you teach and the ways in which you engage with others. Yeah, and your energy output. It, exactly, and, An energy, and energy output in a public setting is just different than energy output in a private setting. And that isn't to say that private settings don't take a lot of energy. Uh, sometimes they take more, but it's just different, right? Mm-hmm. And so... The more, as a yoga teacher, you diversify your revenue sources and then you diversify the environments in which you teach, the less burnout you're going to be and also the better the teacher that you're going to be. Because when you teach privately, you're just going to be able to learn to work with certain details and certain nuances with individuals that you can't in a public room, right? I don't know why, but for some reason, I always think about teaching privates as like looking at a photograph. It's like you're just with one thing or one person for a period, so you can get a little bit more deeper into that field. And when you're teaching a public class, you just can't see all of the variables that go into one person. You just can't. But in a private setting, you can. You Mm -hmm. can really get to know how one particular body works. And that builds your skill set as a yoga teacher. Okay. So, so yeah. I'm
0: going to back way up here, sure, because we're you know we're talking about this from the very beginning. So let's say I'm Andrea. I've just graduated from my 200 hour teacher training. Am I ready to teach privates yet? Totally. Really? Okay. Of course. Okay. I never did when I when I graduated because yeah. I felt like it was next question. How do I start? How do I find students?
1: So I want to get something that might be a little awkward right out before we kind of go into it, which is I just want to acknowledge that I'm a male. And so I've never felt like I was going to be putting myself into a potentially vulnerable environment by working privately with someone, especially going to their home. Yeah. Right. So I just want to put out that you know, not to stoke fear, but to acknowledge something, right? Which is if you are a woman and you're putting yourself out there to teach privates, Mm. especially if you're going to teach privates and you're going to someone else's home, you want to make sure that you have some basic way to vet that scenario. Mm -hmm. And you might feel most comfortable With working at your own studio space or your own home, or you might feel most comfortable working in a studio environment first.
0: If that's allowed. Yeah.
1: And then if there's a relationship that's established, I mean, like a teacher student relationship that's established, and then it feels more comfortable to go to someone else's home, then I think that that's probably a different scenario. But I want to acknowledge that I have the privilege of not having to ever worried about this particular situation. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. but I mean, so, you
0: could also choose. You know, it's your client base, so you can choose to tell someone that you're full or you're too busy if exactly. you don't want to take them on as that's, a student.
1: That's really well said. Yeah. Okay, so let's sort of get beyond that point. Let's acknowledge that point and get beyond that point. I would say that if you, Andrea Ferretti, want to develop a private clientele, the first thing that you have to do is you have to let people know that you offer privates. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is something that I think takes a little bit of tact, but I I don't feel like most yoga teachers that want to teach privates are actually communicating that they offer those services to their students. Do most studios allow you to, to, to say it at the end of class? I don't know if most studios do. I'll say that every studio that I've ever worked at has. Okay, And I would be really surprised. Let me pretend that I want to get more private clients, right? So one of the things that I would do at the end of my class, what I would just say, okay, everyone, thanks for coming. A couple announcements. I'm going to be in town next week. So I'd love to see you in my classes next week. And also, you know, I don't usually let you know this, but if anyone is working on anything specific or you want me to have a little bit more focus and oversight over you and help you develop something, I offer private classes. So just let me know. Mm -hmm. Like that kind of thing, I find very few people actually communicate. And most students just don't actually know Mm -hmm. that number one, that their teacher offers privates, and number two, that there might be some value there. So if we just start to communicate that, I mean, I don't think you need business cards and flyers and this and that. Mm -hmm. You can develop that kind of thing. But I think it's mostly word of mouth.
0: Mm -hmm. You can put it on your website too. Yeah, you can put it on your
1: website. The
0: bottom of your newsletter.
1: Yeah. And here's the thing, like realistically, if you are, well, part-time or full-time, realistically, you're probably don't have that many client spaces per week available, right? So maybe you're just trying to develop like two privates a week or four privates a week. Like that just isn't many people. Like believe it or not, those slots are going to book up. Mm. I think just from regularly communicating that and there are elements of the yoga business that I'm good at, but sales is not something that I feel super comfortable with But I believe that there's inherent value to people practicing more yoga, and I believe there's inherent value to people practicing yoga in an individual environment where one teacher gets to focus on that particular student's needs. And so even if I feel like, oh, I'm a little bit new over a teacher, I'm not sure if I'm ready trust yoga and i trust that there's value in people practicing yoga and that there's value in a teacher being able to look at one body at a time and just communicating that very casually at the end of class periodically or in the newsletter i don't think is a hard sale no one is going to be turned off by that
0: yeah yeah so but you know you said something interesting which is you probably only have a few slots a week and i guess Something that I notice with yoga teachers is there are yoga teachers who teach mostly public classes and really hustle, and then a couple of privates. And then there are some yoga teachers who choose the opposite path, which is they teach a lot of privates and just a few public classes. And there's got to be some kind of... I mean, I think it's obviously very personal, like the cost-benefit analysis for yourself. But it brings the question to mind for me of how do you price it? And what do you do with someone who just wants a one-off and do you say to someone it's probably best we work together for a month and then you can decide if you want to continue do you not I mean how do you yeah. handle all
1: of those so aspects? okay so good questions and there's a couple of them in there
0: and it's just a 60 minute session right that you do
1: yeah I mean I've done 60 I've done 75 I've done 90 I mean you know I worked with with Jeff for a super long time. Those were always 90 minute wow,
0: okay, Like three days
1: a week. Jeff is just a diehard. He's an animal. Yeah, You know, I mean, half of that, we would just, you know, like- Chit chat. Chit chat <laughs> and make fun of each other. <laughs> I mean, it's like the ultimate amazing client that's yeah. just like all around great person. Right. But, okay. So let's talk pricing. Right. So the first thing I want to say is it kind of depends on location. Mm -hmm. I would say it actually depends on location more than status of the teacher. You know, so there's some logic that if you have a higher commercial status as a teacher, you could sell your individual time for a greater sum. But I think actually what's more key is the locations. So if you're listening from New York, if you're listening from London, if you're listening from L.A., Those are markets in which you have a sector of the population that practices with a pretty high disposable income who uh, has the resources to invest in private attention. Uh You know, that's just the reality of that thing. And there are all sorts of communities that don't have those resources. But if you're in a community that has larger resources, and then also kind of the culture, especially in New York and L.A., there's just a cultural incentive to pay a premium price for a service. Mm-hmm. So those locations, man, you could, people charge a lot. People charge several hundred dollars an hour in those locations. That's never something that I did. So the way that I did pricing was very, very different. So what I did was, I'll get to real numbers, right? But what I did was I looked at, As a yoga teacher, what was the role of the income that was coming in for a private? And for me, that main role was supplemental and I wanted to be consistent, right? So being a yoga teacher, all of the revenue that I was making was percentages of sales. So my revenue every month would go up and down according to how many people were in a workshop, how many people were in a training, how many people were in a class. And so what I wanted from my privates was I was willing to charge a much lower price to guarantee consistency. So I got to the place where I was really only doing six individual sessions or more, and I was pricing them mostly between 80 and $100,
0: so you're saying you would make people commit to a minimum of six? Sessions. Yes,
1: yeah. Okay, and sorry. each one, each one was eighty to a hundred dollars, and that would kind of depend on whether or not I was going to their place or whether or not they're meeting me at the studio, right? Okay. So I'm just going to say, in terms of going market rates, that's on the low side of the spectrum. Yeah. And I'm a commercially viable teacher; I could charge more for that. But one, I'm Midwestern, so like, yeah, I, it's
0: just not really your
1: ethic. It, it's not. <laughs> it is. It isn't yeah. right. But also like, I wanted the consistency. I wanted to know that the student was getting a big value.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I wanted to know that I was giving them a big value. And then I wanted to know from that, that that person was much more likely to be consistent over time. So I didn't want a ton of different clients. I wanted a handful of clients that I saw at least one time a week, usually two or three times a week, every week, for months. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's how I factor that in. Another way that I think that everyone can think a little bit about pricing is pricing is always difficult, right? But one of the things that you can do is you can look in your area and you can look at what is the going rate or what is the going range for an acupuncture service, what is the going rate or range for, body, for work. body work? Yeah. What is the going rate or range for therapy, for talk therapy, not, sure. not psychiatric therapy? That's always like a bigger, it's more budget. of like a help. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 But you know what I mean? Like those are similar skill sets, they're similar levels of value, they're similar interactions. And so, those would be, I think, good things to look at in your community to set a range,
0: Mm -hmm. right? That's a good idea.
1: You know, and there is one of these things, right? It's this kind of like, I don't know, I don't want to step on these toes, but it's kind of this thing of like, well, you don't want to undersell yourself. You got to get paid what you're worth. And it's like, okay, right, agreed. And at the same time, price has to be commensurable Mm -hmm. with local market demands. Yeah. You know, you have to be realistic and like, what are people willing to pay and not what are people willing to pay once in a while? Like somebody might be like, oh my God, I have a friend who does privates for $300 an hour. It's like, okay, how many times a week To to how many different people and where do they live? And understand that's Probably the exception, not the rule, mm-hmm. unless you have a like a high cap community and you're in and you're teaching in Beverly Hills. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Teaching Which is fine. That's not to yeah. under. It's not to underestimate that. It's yeah. just like most people aren't in that situation,
0: right? Right. You know. Mm-hmm.
1: So I think somewhere between eighty and one hundred and twenty five dollars an hour. I think that's probably a more realistic thing. And to be honest with you, that's probably more than most people are earning in most public classes. Uh
0: Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Right? Okay.
1: So it's one of these things where you diversify your revenue, you diversify your energy, your output, you diversify your skill set, and you make at least as much,
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: at least as much. Right.
0: Okay, so let's talk about when you start out this teacher-student relationship with someone, you know, let's say you're starting your first session. Mm -hmm. Have you talked to them beforehand, done any front-loading in terms of what they want to work on, what they're looking for, or do you sit down with them that day?
1: You know, what I started to do, because I taught privates for a long time, and when I started to think a little bit more about how can I maximize the quality of my experience and how can I maximize the quality of their experience? What I started to do was, I started to make the first session 75 minutes or 90 minutes, but the price was the same as for an hour. And what that extra 15 or 30 minutes gave us was just time to talk about goals, right? To talk about goals and to talk about strategy. I would say that's another thing that I actually really liked about privates is, and I say liked because I I just haven't, I'm not currently doing them, but I did them for over a decade. And it's not been that long since my last private. It's only been maybe a year and a half. And once in a while, I'll do certain things online for someone. But I started to, in that first 15 to 30 minutes, I started to figure out what they wanted to work with. And then I enjoyed the puzzle of working backwards from there. You know, as a yoga teacher, once in a while, teachers will ask, hey, what do you guys want to work on in class today? Which I don't advise, <laughs> but that's but that, that's neither here nor there. When you work with an individual client, you can be very specific and outcome oriented, right? As a teacher, you don't have to guess like, oh, maybe they want to do hip openers and arm balances and they'll like this. Typically when you work with a private student they're going to have specific outcomes they want. They're going to work want to work on their back bends or their core or they're going to want to get in better shape or they're going to want to learn how to do this pose or that pose or they have some sort of mild injury and they need to learn how to work around that injury. So most of the time people are going to have specific things that they want to go into and you can spend that first phase of time just starting to work backwards from there and developing some strategy to do that and to kind of communicate then your vision of that. They might say, look, I want to lose a little bit of weight. I want to get a little bit stronger in my body. I want to just kind of come back and feel better in myself. Uh, and I want to sleep better. And you might say, okay, like, okay, I totally get it. So here where I'm starting to think about it, here's the strategy I want to take. Let's look at making sure we do some sun salutations to get you moving, and sounds like you have a little bit tighter hips, so let's do some strength and some opening in the hips, and then, you know, you're dealing with some sleep challenges, so let's make sure that we finish every one of our sessions with legs up the wall, and then let's just track it week to week and and see how things are going, and, and we'll adjust things accordingly. So one of the things I would always communicate with my clients is, okay, if we're doing this together, we're going to do trial and error together. Like we're going to see how things go and we're going to adjust according to the process. That was always a much more interesting thing for me than when people just wanted a private all-around class. That's one of the questions we get all the time too is you just teach them an all-around class? Mm-hmm. I would say for most people, no. I would say for most people, you you want to have them identify at least two or three primary goals. Mm -hmm. You can give them an all-around practice, but if you have some specific things to work with, it makes everyone's time much more effective. Mm -hmm.
0: Okay, so they've come in, you know, you've set some goals. Do you clarify whether or not they want hands-on adjustments? I mean, the thing is, I would imagine with a private, one of the benefits is that the teacher can give you really personalized adjustments or instruction.
1: When I teach a public class, I'm extremely verbal. When I teach private, I'm extremely hands-on. It's almost all hands-on. Like I'll give some verbal cues, but for me, I let people know at the onset that if you're going to work with me individually, my greatest skill set is figuring out the puzzle and then also being tactile. Tactile. Mm-hmm. Like, those are the two things. I can figure out the puzzle uh, that is your body and how to work with it best. And then I can also be in a one-on-one environment. I can be very good with the hands. In a public environment, it's much harder to give the level of focus and skill with manual adjustments. And there's other, there's other more complicated layers to that.
0: So I feel like when I've watched you teach privates... It's a vinyasa class, but I see more of your Iyengar yeah, training coming yeah. out. So do you kind of allow there to be more pauses and, you know, setting things up more, perhaps with props and going a little bit more slowly with private students? Yes,
1: yeah. almost always. I really kind of pull out the Iyengar tool bag, mm-hmm. you know, and I will get people moving, but it's kind of a vague word, but we're okay with using it in the yoga world, energy. It is a lot of energy as a teacher in a private setting to get your student to flow. It's just, it's a lot of output, man. So for me, I really want to work on specific skills and develop certain patterns. Okay. So, I mean, I might work them through a handful of sun salutations, just get them moving and warm. But if someone is really flowing, that's not the opportunity where I can see the detail that I need to see and it's not the opportunity that I can do the hands-on that I need to do Mm -hmm. in order to give them the specialized thing that they're looking for, right? I mean, I really see privates as a specialized environment. And again, I I think that that, that you, you could have plenty of students where you just run them through a flow. But from me personally, I would recommend seeing it as a different environment. I'd recommend seeing it as a much more private specialized environment.
0: It's almost like a personal workshop. It is. Right.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's a good way of thinking about yeah.
0: it. Yeah. A customized workshop for you. Yes. And so the other thing that's different about a workshop or a public class is that you are interacting with them and they're interacting with you too. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, if you're being yeah. Private, it's not like this
1: silent Yeah. You know, and you know, the reality is this happened with me and I really enjoyed it and it happens with a lot of people is you develop a relationship with the people that you're working with and it become it can be a bit social, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, every one of my private clients per week back in the day, they would ask about you. They'd ask about Sophia. They'd ask about all sorts of things. I'd ask them about what's happening in their life. You know, so it becomes it becomes a nice friendship. It's a professional thing, but I'm sure it's the same if you have the same long-term body worker acupuncturist. Yes. You know what I mean? Hairdresser. They're, hairdresser, <laughs> right? Yeah. There's just checking in. Mm-hmm. It's a professional relationship, but there's a, there's an interest in the quality of each other's life and relationships.
0: I want to ask, I think there might be people, students who want a private, who are having a therapeutic issue. And I know that this is like, A sticking point for you. But I also happen to know that you have worked with people who've had therapeutic issues. Yeah. And so, like, I can remember that young woman who had really bad back Mm -hmm. pain. Yeah.
1: And I know Jeff had actually pretty much all of my clients.
0: So, how do you
1: approach that? So, my role as a yoga teacher is to troubleshoot what's happening in the yoga room. My role is not to work directly with the pathology, but to work indirectly with the symptoms. The biggest challenge that I have with quote-unquote yoga therapeutics is that in general, yoga is therapeutic in the same way that our dog is therapeutic, in the same way that running is therapeutic, in the same way that relationships are therapeutic. But when you're really doing therapy from a pathology model, you need accurate diagnostics. And so, to have like high level accurate diagnostics, we need imaging, we need blood tests, we need clinical exams. Like, we need all of these things that the vast majority of yoga teachers are just simply not trained in, including myself. So, the way that I would deal with this would be let's say, for example, we had this example of the person that had severe back spasms and was, she was bedridden. She was bedridden for a long time. So then what I can say to myself is, okay, how do I teach yoga to someone in bed? What can they move? Can they breathe? Is there any range of motion that they're not doing that they could do in bed? And then we'll start there. So can I- Can I just
0: interrupt for one sec? Yeah. Did that person, when you work with people, had she already gone to the doctor? Like, do you feel strongly that that let you know that they've taken care of that side before they start working with you?
1: Yeah. And one of the things that to me is pretty important is, how do I phrase this while being sensitive? It's like, to me, demonstrating that you have been to a care provider. Uh, a doctor of some sort, demonstrates some level of functional mental health, right? Because let's say someone is bedridden for a long period of time and wants to do yoga, but they haven't been to a doctor, they haven't been to a therapist, they haven't been to a psychiatrist, they haven't been to any of these things. I'm not going there.
0: Okay.
1: That's I'm not going what I wanted there. To know. I'm not going there. Yeah. Because
0: Going to a trained care provider shows a level of personal responsibility that yeah, you, that you I mean. want. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: Which isn't to say that people that don't do those things are bad thing, people, It's it, but it's to say that I'm not getting professionally involved. Mm-hmm. I'm not getting professionally involved mm-hmm. in a scenario where you have some sort of significant dysfunction that needs therapy, mm-hmm. and yet there's been no diagnostic protocol by someone that has actually been trained in diagnostic procedures.
0: Yeah. It's not safe. And it's also not a responsibility that you want to bear.
1: It's not a responsibility that I want to bear, Mm -hmm. you know? And the thing is, is like, I know enough to know in the yoga world, what is an issue that I feel comfortable having an open conversation with and what is a situation that I don't. So if someone can come to me and say like, I don't know exactly what's going on, but I've been having this issue for a period of time. I talked to my inter- internist. I went to PT. I think I might go back. We've had some scans done and, you know. There's
0: nothing pathologically yeah, wrong. Yeah. yeah.
1: Then I will go there. Or let's say someone is just in their individual poses, like their shoulder hurts. Oh, you know what okay. I mean? Like So okay. that isn't, okay. I think we have to clarify a degree. Got it. So like, if in down dog, your shoulder hurts, you can come to me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean?
0: Right. Because, but, that's, because that's top line philosophy, which is I will work with you on the yoga and what's happening within the yoga.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And if you have a more significant impairment, I would prefer that there has been some engagement with some medical team of some sort. Yeah. That would make me feel much more comfortable Mm -hmm. on every level. Mm -hmm. So getting back to kind of working with someone in a different state, which is I'm there to teach that person yoga. So if that person is bedridden, my job is to teach them yoga in the bed. And then if that helps them be able to stand up, my job is to then give them some things they can do while standing up. If they can sit down, my job is then to give them some things to do while they're sitting down. My job is not to figure out whether or not this is a psychiatric issue, this is an undiagnosed lumbar tumor. This is not my job to figure out whether or not this is one of the countless different spinal disorders. My job is to teach yoga to what's happening with the person in the present moment and to use symptoms as a guide. And then to also, if they are in some doctoring care, to look at what the doctor's physical therapy or physio is asking them to do and not to, right? If it's a much more mild situation, right? Much more mild situation. Someone comes to you and every time they take their arm above 90 degrees, they feel pain in, in the top of their shoulder or every time they do chaturanga and they feel pain in the front of the shoulder. My job isn't really to fix the shoulder or to assess the shoulder or to provide diagnostics for the shoulder. My job is to get that person to work their shoulders differently in all of those poses so that they're asymptomatic. And I can usually do that through a lot of trial and error, but when we have the time to work individually, to troubleshoot problems in a pose. I find that a really exciting and fun thing. And I don't find that going beyond my scope into something that I would consider personally unethical and interesting, almost always there is a therapeutic effect. Right. So if we can figure out how to elevate the arm above 90 degrees in a way that isn't producing that pain, then we've we've troubleshot the posture. We've troubleshot the situation in almost always we've taken a step towards addressing the underlying issue.
0: Interesting. That's a good thorough answer.
1: Yeah. I told you
0: we could have done two episodes. No. <laughs> is there anything I missed? I mean You
1: know, one of the things that comes up is just can't literally you guys just having a cancellation policy. Mm. And this can be one of the most uncomfortable things. But you here's the thing. I just like. I'm pleading with all of you out there who will listen, just be transparent, just be clear up front. This is your job, right? So I sort of was talking earlier about like what you're worth and what you're worth is a little bit contingent upon what a market will pay, but you are worth a 24 hour cancellation policy. Okay. So like, just bake that in. You are worth communicating what your services cost the thing is, is like a lot of times people forget that for yoga teachers, teaching yoga is their actual job. <laughs> it's, it's like, it's their actual job. It's their actual income. It's their work environment. And it's not an anything goes situation, right? So students have a responsibility too. There's no environment where I can walk into as the client and just like do, you know, whatever I want and come and go as I please. I can't arrive at my appointment 45 minutes late and expect them to fit me in. I can't bail within 10 minutes of an appointment and not
0: yeah. pay. So, do you just communicate it through email? Do you have a contract?
1: Either or both. Okay. How, I would say, however, you feel most comfortable with it. Right? However you feel most comfortable with it, I think the easiest way is just to tell people. I charge $90 per session, and I have a 24-hour cancellation policy. And, you know, like, I understand things can come up last minute, but I need to know 24 hours in advance or I have to charge a card. And then that's another thing to do. It's like, it's just so easy now to have people pay in advance via uh any of the anything, the, any demo, of the apps, whatever it is. Yeah. 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 But I would also say the same thing for the teacher, right? Which is if you're a teacher, you can't just flake out. You know what I mean? Like as a teacher, you want to do everything you can do to not cancel within 24 hours. Yeah. Absolutely. And once in a while, it's going to happen. You know, once, once in a very long while. Once in a while. blue moon, it's yeah. going to happen. Yeah. But if we think, oh, I want to be a yoga teacher so that I can come and go as I please, wrong. You're in the wrong business and yeah. you should go elsewhere. No, they're
0: depending on you. I mean, I yeah. think about our the woman who took care of our daughter when I was working. And one of the things I say to anyone who's looking to hire her is never called in sick. She never called in sick. She always showed up for work with a smile on her face. It's, yeah. a, it's a huge deal. We, do, yeah. we
1: need each other. Yeah. Anything else that comes up? I don't think so. I mean, I, I think one thing you might have to navigate if you're doing sessions at your yoga studio is you just have to have a conversation with them. The thing is, is that most studios have some open space during, during the day. Mm-hmm. So let's say you teach a 12 o'clock class. Let's say you teach like 12 to 1 your studio is probably open from one to two or your studio is, well, maybe it's open. It's probably, maybe it's open from 11 to 12. But if you can then have two billable hours in a row instead of one, your job becomes so much more efficient, right? So teach 12 to one, and then a 110 to 210 private class. Even if you have to rent the studio by paying a percentage of what comes in, It's still probably worth it. Mm -hmm. It's still probably worth it. Mm -hmm. I'll put it this way I had more time than money for a long time as a yoga teacher, way more time than money. So I had to be willing to sell that time to generate the livelihood that I needed to make to live where I live.
0: Mm -hmm. Yep.
1: Oh, one more thing. This could be kind of a big topic. Maybe we'll do this as a separate topic sometime, but. I think it's helpful in the intake to know how to give your students a basic physical assessment, not a physical exam, but a yoga assessment. Like you want to figure out how mobile are the hamstrings? How mobile are the adductors? How mobile are the hip flexors? How mobile are the quads? How mobile are the outer hips? How mobile are the shoulders in all directions? So you should be able to do that. Like, I shouldn't say should. What I'll say is developing the ability to be able to quickly and accurately assess people's range of motion should be, I keep using the word "should"? <laughs> I want people to be able to give a good, clear, accurate range of motion assessment to all of their students.
0: That would be an awesome blog post or PDF. I don't know if you're willing
1: to. Well, that. <laughs> that's a long training is what it is. Yeah. Because here's the thing is like, I could create a blog post or a PDF, but if you don't understand what to look for and how to, how to compare different things, the assessment won't help. Like it's actually having the education to understand how to look at a hip joint and not just say, my hips are tight or mm-hmm. my hips are open, but to actually look at those all of those ranges of motion and then figure out what, what lags behind and build a pra- practice for that.
0: Yeah, it's funny. When I had really bad SI pain years ago, that was exacerbated by yoga and I couldn't get out of the pattern. I went to a whole bunch of different kinds of body workers, including chiropractor. I went to an orthopedist. I went to acupuncture, massage therapist. And the person who got me out of pain was a Pilates, private Pilates teacher who did a very clear assessment before we started. And then she worked with me for like maybe four to six weeks. And I was finally out of pain because she could, she looked at my body assessed my body, and then gave me things to work on from there.
1: Yeah. So this goes all the way back (laughs) to the beginning question you answered. You asked, I just graduated from my 200-hour program. Am I ready to give a private? Yes. Are you ready to give an assessment? Hell no. Not even close. Well then, so <laughs> that level that of person. education is so much higher. So, what you would do in this situation, just figure out some basic stuff. Like, what do you want to work with? You want to you want to be have a little bit more flexibility in the hips, a little bit more strength in your core, and you want to work on back bends. A 200 hour level teacher, if you're in the right 200 hour program, it should definitely have the experience to do that. The full on assessment is a higher level thing.
0: So you just don't overpromise, and you don't take on clients who are perhaps perhaps need a more detailed assessment from a higher level teacher. Yeah. Under promise, over deliver. Yes. Okay. Let's
1: stop there. <laughs> It'll stop there. Okay. Thanks. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks, as always, for listening. I will put show notes at Yogaland podcast dot com slash episode 162 if you enjoy yoga land and you want to support us in some way please go to apple podcasts and leave us a five star rating and review it really helps people find the podcast and until next week enjoy your practice